your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, February 26th. On today's show, I want to preview another busy week on the pro tennis calendar. The Sunshine Swing, it's yet to begin. Of course, Indian Wells and Miami are on the horizon, but this week we have to focus on three 500-level events on the calendar. Two for the men in Dubai and Acapulco, one for the women in San Diego, of course. If that wasn't enough. We also have two 250s at the tour level this week, one for the women in Austin, the other for the men in Santiago. Plenty of other challenger-level tennis as well, which gets covered over on the Great Shot podcast feed by our dear friend Damian Kust. Of course, myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris will be covering the college tennis world on Tuesday and Wednesday over on that Great Shot podcast feed, as well as on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. But here today, I want to focus specifically on that tour-level action because eight of the top 11 men's players in the world are competing this week. And yes, we're only two months in to this 2024 season, but it does feel like we have seen enough tennis now where perhaps for the first time we can take a step back and reflect on some of the lessons we have already learned, in particular on today's show. I want to do that by discussing the players I think have the most to prove in this upcoming stretch on the calendar. Obviously, the Sunshine Swing, which consists of Indian Wells, Miami. It's a significant time. There are 2,000 points on the line. Back-to-back 1,000-level events, the last hard-court opportunities for a bunch of these players before we enter the clay court swing of the calendar as well. And look, again, two months into the season, I think it's pretty clear who the standout players have been, and maybe that's something I'll discuss later this week. But who still has the most to prove? Whose results will I be watching most closely over the course of the next month? That's what I want to start to get into here today. It is just worth noting from a programming standpoint, I haven't taken the deep dive into the South American clay court swing yet to the degree that I would like. Thankfully, that podcast is now on the schedule. I'm recording it Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. It will be released Tuesday morning for all of you listeners to enjoy with a guest I know all of you already enjoyed due to his many appearances here on this podcast. So be on the lookout for that. Jeff Sackman's joining me Tuesday night. That podcast will be posted Wednesday. I'll have an update on the first day of play at each of these events for all of you tomorrow as well. So we got multiple mini breaks on the horizon for all of you listeners as we keep you up to date on everything happening in the pro tennis world. As I alluded to earlier, though, you're looking for challenger coverage. You're looking for college coverage. We'll get back to talking ITFs and juniors a little bit as well uh, over on our Great Shot podcast feed. So make sure you're subscribed there. Make sure you're subscribed to the Cracked Interviews podcast, our Crack Rackets YouTube channel and following all the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, to ensure you don't miss out on any of our content because we got a lot of good stuff on the horizon, including this weekend, something our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, has put so much time into preparing. We truly kick off our coverage of the 2024 college tennis season with multiple broadcasts on ESPN+. Plus. We are very proud of that fact. ACC, SEC, Big 12 coverage available on the platform that is the platform of all platforms and to be able to provide that sort of platform that sort of spotlight on a level of this sport that we love so dearly all we can ask is that you listeners continue to support us in doing that if you have an espn plus account even if you're not watching 
Just open the tab, leave it on mute. Let's run up those viewer numbers so that ESPN continues to invest in what we are trying to build. Uh, it's the least I can ask from all of you listeners who have already given us so much. But of course, SEC, ACC, Big 12 coverage Friday, Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We will also have Big 10 coverage available. Uh, excuse me. Fridays and Sundays, uh, ACC, SEC, Big 12 available on ESPN+. Plus. Big 10 is available Sundays on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So a lot of fun broadcasts on the horizon. Obviously, we break all of that down Tuesdays, Wednesdays over on the Great Shot podcast feed in our Deciding Point episodes. Of course, here on the mini break, we try to focus most on the tour level events. I suppose that's the way I will phrase it. So let's get back to doing that here on today's episode. A thank you to all of you for tuning in. A thank you to our friends at Tennis Point for their support. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Tough to pick what's the most enticing draw on the calendar this week. Storyline for storyline It honestly might just be Acapulco, but I'm going to start in Dubai because we get the return of Australian Open finalist Daniil Medvedev, who's the top seed this week at this 500-level event in Dubai. Of course, last February, Medvedev had fallen out of the top 10 for the first time in about half a decade and went on this magnificent run, of course, where he wins Rotterdam, Doha, Dubai, back to back to back. Now, obviously, given the season he had in 2023 following that February, he didn't feel the urgency to play so immediately following what he was openly discussing was a grueling physical Australian Open final run. He's taken a full month to recover. I think big picture here, 2024 season, even though he's passed up events where he has historically been successful and is still on that quest to win multiple titles at the same event. I I have no issue with him skipping Rotterdam, skipping the opening part of this Middle East swing because guy needed to rest up again. Four sets against Borges, five sets against Hercots, five sets against Zverev, five sets against Sinner, and also played that five set till 3.30 a.m. match against Rusevori in round number two. Got to get the body right. Got to get the mind right. If it took him a month to do so, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him play, but it's obviously a better thing that we get the best of Daniil Medvedev moving forward in this 2024 season. So he's back in action. He's got a real test. Round number one, taking on the ascending top 50 talent in 23-year-old Alexander Shevchenko. Shevchenko so far has made the most of this post-Australian Open run. And, you know, again, doesn't want to be a February, October player as we once coined those players who succeed. And dare I say the months where there are the least significant events on the calendar. That's what we deem those players who are 250 stars to start. And look, for a 23-year-old who's ascending on the ATP Tour, wherever you have success, you take it. For him, he's had success. Quarterfinals Montpellier, quarterfinals Rotterdam. Now he lost early last week to Richard Gasquet in Doha. But look, Shevchenko has been a player clearly on the rise. He's won 23 career tour-level matches. They've all come in the last 52 weeks. Speaks to why he is now the top 50 player that he is. Obviously, Medvedev is a different sort of challenge, but Shevchenko competes his tail off, and he's pretty solid off both wings. Again, I, you'd expect Medvedev to to advance, but that is a tough competitor to be dealt in round number one. Either way, Medvedev, he's your top seed and unsurprisingly, according to Tennis Abstract, 39.1% favorite. But, you know, again, looking at the rest of the draw, I don't think Andre Rublev belongs in the 
he needs a big week. He's got something to prove category because you look for Andre Rublev over his last 52 weeks. Rublev, 62 wins. The list of players with 60-plus wins over the last 52 weeks. Sinner, Zverev, Alcaraz, Rublev. It's a good list for Andre Rublev to be at. And again, did he lose in another quarterfinal in Australia? He did. Has he failed to advance past the quarterfinal in either Rotterdam or Doha, where he lost, dare I say, disappointing matches to Menchik, Demonauer, respectively? Sure, but not bad matches. Disappointing, but not, you know, again, Menchik's a rising star and, you know, took every ounce of his talent to beat Demonauer in five sets in Australia. Demonauer's been clearly a top eight player on hard courts for 15 months now. So, no, I, you know, again, Rublev started his season a win in Hong Kong quarterfinals Australia. He's 12-3 and three overall on the year. I got no problems with how Andre Rublev started his season. Now, if your argument is, well, he's continued to plateau at five in the world, I think that's a fair argument. Is that a bad thing to have your plateau be five in the world? Absolutely not. Don't think he needs a big week. And I think that he got off to a strong... He's gotten off to slow starts in just about every match I've watched him play. Another one against Zheng Zhizhen drops the opening set before bouncing back for a three-set win. But I wouldn't say he needs a big week. I wouldn't put him in that must-have category. I wouldn't put Andy Murray in that category just because does he need anything at this point of his career given he's already been world number one. He's already won three slam titles. He's already won two Olympic gold medals. He's already assured a Hall of Fame career. He'll never need a second job given his winnings from tennis alone, let alone the endorsements and everything else that came along with his success. But man, has he been playing some marathon matches and been on the wrong end of them. And for him to get the three-set win over Shapovalov, who absolutely should be on the needs a big week category. He doesn't need a big week. He needs a big year, uh, no doubt about it. Good win for Murray to get through. Your other winners, Sasha Bublik, three sets over Thomas Mychak, or Mahak, excuse me. And keep in mind, Mahak, rising, you know, not a rising star, but the 23-year-old's been on the ascent into the top 75 now, qualifies into this event Bublik's off to his most consistent start to any season. 10 and 4 overall into another round of 16. He just keeps racking up quarterfinals or better everywhere but Australia, where obviously he had to remind us all who he was in his straight set loss to submit Nagal. Bublik's playing really good ball. This is the best he's ever played, the most consistent he's ever played. Doesn't need a big week, but gets a good first round win. Your other winners, Greek Spore advances. Seppi Korda doesn't need a big week, but. Just needs to keep playing many weeks. He gets an 0-2 win over Pavel Kotov and then Van de Senshkop, the upset, 6-5 and over Manorino. Does Van de Senshkop need a big week? No, but if he wants to get back in the top 25 mix, I suppose, then the answer to that question is yes. Again, more broadly at the draw, I mentioned Rublev, your two seed. Bublik, the number seven overall seed. I know a matchup uh, that was finished earlier. I know Hercots and Struff, I think, went multiple sets. That match, uh, yeah, Hubi Hercots, 7-6-6, 7-7-6. Man, he continues to have success in breakers. Your number three seed advancing to the round of 16, where a date with either Martyr or O'Connell awaits your fourth seed. Last week's title winner, Karen Hachanov. Uh, last week's Doha winner, excuse me. Umber, the five seed. Does Davidovich Fokina need a big week at number eight? Maybe. I mean, again, he plays 500 ball. He needs a bit a consistent year. One week's not going to do it, but one week is where it starts, certainly. 
Other entertaining players in the draw, can Arthur Cazeau continue his electric start? Obviously, the fresh Frenchman got everyone's attention in Australia uh, in reaching, what, round number four uh, of that event before getting knocked out by Hercots, but beat Runa, beat Greekspoor there. Obviously, the challenger title to start his season as well. Now he's a top 100 player. How real is it all? He'll take on Lorenzo Musetti, a guy who doesn't have the biggest weapons, but will certainly push you physically regardless of surface. Um, that That's a fun matchup between the two. Who else am I keeping an eye on? Jakob Menchik. What's the follow-up act? How much gas does he have left in the tank? Special exemption after he makes the final last week. The now top 100 player will take on Borna Choric in round number one. And then I guess Lorenzo Sinego, who's got a round one battle with wildcard Submit Nagal. I was debating discussing Sinego in my Who Needs a Big Week segment to end today's show. Just He's fallen out of the top 50. And with all these young players on the rise, do I think the window of Lorenzo Sinego top 20 players ever going to happen? Probably not at this point of the Italian's career. But you fall out of the top 50, life just gets, you know, again, first round matches at slams, obviously going to get a little bit harder, but you're no longer guaranteed entry always into these 1000 level events, depending on how far below 50 you fall Life just gets a little bit tougher. He needs to get things going again. Right now, Medvedev's your favorite, 38.2%. Then Rublev, 22.1%. After that, Hercot's 12.6%. And then a big dip all the way to Griekspor at 5.2%. So they say Medvedev, then Rublev, then Hercot. I'm surprised Hatchinov isn't higher at 4.1%. But... Amizaba, I suppose Tennis Abstract's not quite ready to believe in him despite the two 250 titles over his last four months and the constant semifinals or further uh, success that he seems to have on hard courts at the majors. Anyways, that's your draw in Dubai. Some storylines to follow. The Acapulco draw might honestly be better. I mean, certainly you look at our top, what, five seeds. You've got Zverev at one, Runa at two, Demon Hour three, Fritz at four, Tsitsipas five. You want to go further than that, Rude six. Tommy Paul, seven, Francis Tiafo eight. Eight top 20 players, your seeds in Acapulco. This is the most loaded draw. This should have probably been where I started, and it's going to be the easiest action for me to follow all week, given it starts so late in the day here, East Coast United States. Right now, the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, Sasha Zverev, 22.4% after that Demon Hour 15 point, excuse me, Fritz 15.8, Demon Hour 15.3, then a drop all the way to Holgaruna at 7.6. Obviously, I mentioned this last week, and I'll talk about him a little bit later. Stefano Tsitsipas needs to get things going. A disappointing loss to Kasparu, given the fashion it was straight sets, and he couldn't manufacture a single break throughout the course of that match. He's got a tough test. A guy who's top 25 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks, Roman Safulin, who can play with the sort of pace and depth to at least pressure and, you know, drive to pressure that Pass backhand, make him uncomfortable. That said, again, the C- the pace Pass plays with certainly will disrupt that Safulin rhythm, and Safulin tries to hold that baseline on the return of serve. A little harder to do that when the Pass serve is coming at you. I mean, again, I, I just think he needs a big week, and that is a real, there's a world where he loses first round to Safulin, and that would just be another disastrous result for Pass to start this season. He's even got Demon Hour in his quarter of the draw. If it's Demon Hour versus Pass in the quarters, it might be a little harder for some people who have followed the tour more closely over the last five years to make Demon Hour the default favorite. But like, if you just started following this sport... 2023, or let's say Wimbledon last year, something about Alcaraz beating Djokovic. You're like, I'm all in now. 
you'd be like, oh, Demon Hour will probably beat Tsitsipas in that quarterfinal. He's been the better player of late. That's a fascinating little section of the draw. A section that, by the way, also features a Felix Ogier, Alvia Seam, who's starting to get a little hot, starting to play a little bit better. We're back outdoors now, so life gets a little tougher for him, but plenty of quarterfinals in his uh, recent run of rebuilding his ranking back towards the top 20. You know, other intriguing storylines in round number one. How about Tommy Paul and Jack Draper? They're going to play for a third time already this season. Paul drawing Draper in round number one. The seventh seed's a 58.2% favorite against Draper. Keep in mind, Draper, though, beat Tommy Paul when these two faced off in Adelaide to start the season. Paul then returned the favor of four-set win over Draper in Australian Open. Round number two, Paul coming off of a title in Dallas, a final in Delray. He's playing really good ball, but... Jack Draper right now, one of just seven players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. It's a really fun battle between the two. Again, the fact that they're playing for a third time in the first two months of the year. You're locked in on that match. You make time for it no matter where it falls on the schedule, no matter what time zone you're in. That's a must at the very least watch the highlights sort of match. So that's definitely my favorite of the first rounds. But looking in that quarter more broadly against Zverev after the weird three and a half hour loss to Thompson, how does he bounce back? Faces his fellow German shot maker Altmaier, who will swing freely. He's got nothing to lose. He gets through that. I think he beats Kesmenovich or Schwartzman pretty comfortably before he faces whomever in that quarterfinal. The Taylor Fritz quarter is fascinating. Not only do you have succeed in last week's Los Cabos finalist, Casper Ruud, in his section. Round one, Fritz is going to face the well-rounded, athletic Italian Matteo Arnaldi. Arnaldi's had a slow start to 2024. Second round losses in Adelaide, Delray Beach, Australia, the quarterfinal in Brisbane, but a first round loss to in last week in three in Max Purcell in Los Cabos. He's lost a lot of tight matches so far this season outside of his loss to Demon Hour in Australia. But man, again, like he is quick enough. He is strong enough. He is athletic enough to test the weapons of Taylor Fritz to extend that match physically. Fritz obviously coming off of a title in Delray Beach, and he's one of four guys. Him, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner. That's the list. A good list to be on when it's Sinner, Alcaraz, and Djokovic, your peers, to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage right now. And again, you'd lean Fritz just because he's moving well. He's volleying better. He continues to find 2% improvement each and every year, which is really impressive for a guy who walked onto the tour making beautiful contact with the ball off both wings and on the serve. It's a real test. That's a fun one. A well-rounded battle in round one. And again, it's a fun section more broadly. You look at the contrast. How about Shelton versus Evans, round number one? How does that Dan Evans backhand deal with the lefty heavy serve of Ben Shelton? It's a really good matchup for Ben, who doesn't really have a standout result yet here in 2024. He beats Evans, a date with Fritz. That would be fun. Again, for Ben, who I think lost semis in Dallas to Tommy a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, Eubanks, his serving, taking on Casper Rude. Chris gets hot on the serve. He's going to make anyone uncomfortable. So tough battle just for Rude, who won't get a lot of rhythm throughout the course of that match. And then final quarter, you know, again, Holger Runa's got to get things going as well. He makes his final week number one, and, you know, again, you think, okay, he's back. Like, that's what we saw first half of last season. Last year, semifinals, Montpellier loses to Chorich, uh, loses to Shevchenko in three in Rotterdam, the second round loss to Kazo in Australia as well. 
again, needs a big result. He's got a lot of points to defend during the clay court portion of the season. Look, he's one of the 10 best clay court players in the world, unequivocally, given the results he's put together over the last two years. But we're on hard courts still here in Acapulco, and he is going to be tested physically against qualifier Michael Moe. That is a very, very physical, fun match. Tiafo's in this section. You know, again, he'll be pressured. Max Purcell is going to rush his forehand. He's going to try and take the net away from Francis. Alexander Kovacevic continues to consolidate his top 100 form. He qualifies with wins over Nicholas Maya. Three-set win over Rinki Hichikata as well to get into the main draw. Uh, well done by the former Illini All-American friend of the program. He's got a round one matchup with last week's champion, Jordan Thompson. So at least he'll get that opening night off. Again, right now, your favorites, according to Tennis Abstracts, Vera up 22.4%. After that, Fritz, 15.8%. Demon Hour, 15.3%. Then Holger Runa. 7.6%. It's a really good draw. There are a lot of really good matchups. Again, Safulin City pass round one in. Even Flavio Caboli, really athletic Italian who's just well-rounded game, solid everywhere, kind of like Arnaldi. He's got Felix round one in on that. Obviously, Tommy versus Jack Draper. That's the first round matchup to watch. But there's a lot of good tennis everywhere in this Acapulco draw, and it'll be on late at night or very early in the morning, I suppose, depending on where you live. So keep your eye on this one. This is definitely my favorite draw of the week and certainly something we'll spend plenty of time covering here on the Mini Break Podcast. Feed your other 500-level event, the WTA event, happening in San Diego. Obviously, it's a massive week for Jessica Pagula, the world number five, who's back in action this week after taking some time off since Australia. Obviously, she separated with her coach, now working with Mark Knowles, Mark Merklane, uh, to, dare I say, try and right the ship. The top seed's got to buy this week. She's still 45.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Your other top four seeds, second seed, Beatrice Haddad Maya, third seed, Emma Navarro, who was a qualifier last year at this event on her way to either finals, semifinals, I forget which one it was, uh, Pavlachenkova, your number four seed, as she continues her exceptional start uh, to 2024. I mean, again, the, the big storyline is Jessica Pagula. It was her first month of inconsistency in two and a half years, her losing in United Cup to Katie Bolter, losing in Adelaide, uh, excuse me, not in Adelaide, losing in Australia to Clara Burrell. She just hadn't taken those sorts of losses in consecutive events in legitimately two and a half seasons since she ascended to the top 10, top eight grouping for the first time. And now she's got uncertainty surrounding her for the first time in that stretch. A new coaching staff, some doubt, dare I say, injected into the steadiness of her game. How does she respond? How does she react? She'll face a, uh, her first match will be either against qualifier, big hitting German, Julie Niemeyer, or there, the explosive Vavara Gracheva. Uh, other storylines, things to monitor in this event. Certainly, Diana Yastremska, can she carry her form? from Australia here into San Diego. That's the potential quarterfinal matchup for Pagula. Boy, wouldn't that one be fun. By the way, Yastrzemska going to take on Caroline Dalahide, the American who, again, she's got a year until that, those uh, finals from that 1,000-level event in Mexico last year comes off of her resume in that time. Again, can she build enough points to sustain a top 50 ranking when they do come off that's round one matchup for Yastrzemska. Round two, potentially Caroline Wozniacki, who takes on Blinkova in round number one. I mean, 
Yastrzemska's power versus the consistency, steadiness, speed of Wasniacki. Sign me up for that round two battle. Hopefully we get it. You look at the Pavlochenkova quarter of the draw, her round one matchup. Going to be a fellow big hitter. She'll either face Clara Tawson or Wang Xinyu. That's a sneaky, really fun first-round matchup, as is the battle between Qualifier and Lee, the young American, still young, trying to regain her top 60 form. She's taking on Marta Kostyuk, who's obviously trying to sustain her Australian Open level. And by the way, Kostyuk this week, 250 points off of her ranking as she loses her WTA Austin title, which was her first tour level title that came this week last year. You look at the Navarro section of the draw. Uh, Navarro, surprisingly the favorite to advance out of her section over eighth-seeded Layla Fernandez. But between those two, Katarina Sinyakova, who's played really solid ball over the last four months on the singles court. Fun section of the draw. And then Haddad Maya, she's got Katie Bolter as a potential. Or Lesia Sarenko, who's number two in break percentage. Two rising players. That's a potential round one. Has three sets written all over it for Haddad Maya. And then keep an eye on junior U.S. Open champion Stanford freshman Catherine Huey. She gets a wild card into her hometown event. She will take on seventh-seeded Donna Vekic in round number one. Which of these players need a big week of the most? That is an excellent thought. As you look at the draw, obviously Pagula is a resounding favorite in that number one spot. Pavs and Fernandez are already off to good starts. You never know when the Haddad Maya week's going to come, but It'll always add up for her. Again, Yastrzemska, Kostyuk, they want to consolidate their positions, continue their strong forms to begin the year, but I'm not, I don't think they're desperate for it. Emma Navarro, same category as Kostyuk and Yastrzemska. Bolter probably in that category as well. I mean, the delta between how badly Pagula would love a title run this week and everyone else just to steady the ship and remind everyone, hey, my best is still unequivocally top five unless you are one of the best players in the world, and then maybe you've got a shot against me. She she needs the big week because, dare I say, there are a lot of players in the San Diego draw who come in with really strong form. And again, a lot of the players who are in the Middle East, Iga, Rabakina, Goff, they're all skipping this event. And there are a bunch of players who I think belong with Pagula on the list. I'll get to them at the end of this show of who has the most to prove moving forward. But I think San Diego, the storyline is unequivocally Jessica Pagula. Can she find that top five form that has defined her last two years. That's what we're going to find out as we watch the week unfold. Obviously, we'll have plenty of updates for you throughout the course of the week on that event. Last but not least, to talk about the 250s, fun draws. Let's start in Austin on the women's side of things. Top 50 players in top seed, Angelina Kalinina, second seeded Sloane Stevens, third seeded Danielle Collins, all in action feels like I, to see Collins not in San Diego was particularly striking. Stevens as well, but again, speaks to the quality of that draw that they weren't 100% certain they were going to be able to get in and want to get some more matches in before the sunshine swing begins. I mean, it's a big week for Katie Valenetz, who gets a wild card into this event. She made the finals of this event last year, so plenty of points for her to defend. Big week for Peyton Stearns, I think, as well. Her and Alicia Parks, two Americans who obviously have had some really strong moments over the last 15 months, but some inconsistency, dare I say, plaguing their last few months in particular. Both of them have tremendous weapons for Stearns, the serve, the forehand, how well she attacks the return of serve. Obviously, for Parks, the exact inverse when she is landing her first serve, dictating with her first strike, getting into the net. She can then just swing so freely on the return of serve. You know, again, her weapons can just overwhelm anyone. 
it's a big week for both of those Americans. Sloan Stevens as well. Just this feels like a very opportunistic draw for her to make a significant run. And, you know, again, there's still other players to watch. The young Sarah Balick, who's got a matchup with round one against Angelina Kalinina. It will be fascinating to see what the qualifier can do. You know, again, there's Gadecki's and Taylor Townsend's Rodianova coming off of her top 100 breakthrough. I think Wang Yafan's played some really solid ball to start the season. But it's definitely the undercard event in comparison to the San Diego draw. Still one we will spend plenty of time covering throughout the course of this week. And then on the men's side, it's our final event of the South American clay court stretch. It will be in Santiago, where, of course, unsurprisingly, your top seed, Nicolas Yari, who should be playing one of the 500s, probably that 500 in Acapulco. But look, it's very rare. Again, the Chilean has the opportunity to play on home soil and his, dare I say, breakthrough moment uh, in this second run of his career. It started last year in Santiago on his way to winning this event in front of just an electric and special home crowd. So it's no surprise at all that he's made the decision to play this event. It's also not a surprise that Despite his success on this surface, historically, he's not the favorite. It's got to be 500 champion from Rio last week, Sebastian Baez, who is right back in another clay court event. Why would he not be? This is the surface he thrives on most. 14 quarterfinals and 30 clay court events played since the start of 22, uh, 2022. And remember, it's a guy who's still just 23 years old. I mean, he's a story... There's a lot of good ones. Jao Fonseca, the 18-year-old, he gets a wild card into the vet, this event. He'll take on a clay court veteran in Diego Tarante. All the familiar faces, Alejandro Tabilo, can he get another big event? Luca, uh, Luciano Darderi, uh, the Italian who won a couple of weeks ago, how can he round out this week's uh, Juan Manuel Sarundolo needs to get something going. He'll take on Yannick Hanfman. Sabeth Vild trying to consolidate his top 100 spot. Diaz Acosta trying to do the same. Albert Ramos Vinolas. I don't know if he's made a quarterfinal yet. Is he going to get shut out of his first South American clay court swing maybe in a decade? There's a lot of fun things to keep an eye on in this Santiago event. Again, Baez, 28.4% favorite. After that, you get Nicolas Yare at 223 Then you drop all the way to Facundo, uh, Facundo, excuse me, Diaz Acosta at 10.5%. Those are all your tour-level events we've got this week. Again, five of them, three of them, 500-level events, Dubai, Acapulco, San Diego, two 250s in Austin and Santiago. Before we go, just to elaborate on that theme I have been discussing throughout the course of this show, who are the players as we look towards this next month stretch that I do think have, dare I say, some clear-cut, you got to prove it, expectations now thrust upon their shoulders moving forward. Let's start on the women's side of things. I think the Jessica Pagula argument is very, very clear, very easy to make. New coach for her. Again, first time in back-to-back events she's suffered non-top 20 losses or top 30. You know, again, just shocking losses, jaw-dropping inconsistency in a way we just had not seen from her in two and a half years. And so... She's on this list. We'll see her play San Diego, obviously Indian Wells, Miami as well. I think Maria Sakari has to be on this list as well for all the same reasons. And you look for Maria Sakari. What's so weird about the start to her season, she looked really good in United Cup. Now, she didn't play the strongest schedule of matches, but I loved her for her straight set win over Fernandez, where she was, I think Fernandez served for that opening setup 5 4. 
I thought her level was really solid against Angelique Kerber. She comes out in Australia very comfortable against now Habino. Then just, again, loses the plot against Alina Avanesian. Has now lost four of five. Her loss this year, Avanesian, Kirstea, Naskova, Paulini. It's a tough start to Maria Sakkari's season. Obviously, she's jumped back into the top 10 after falling out momentarily. But, you know, again, if you're looking in the numbers for things, I don't think the second serve, I suppose, has fallen apart. But it's just the lack of rhythm. It's the lack of clarity. It just feels like she is searching for something different at every point. And, you know, that serve, that forehand pattern, that plus one proficiency, that is what she built her top 10 resume upon. Like, it just seems to have gone astray uh, for Sakari. And it's gone astray in a surprising way. So I suppose, I, I just think she she has to be on this list. She belongs on it, certainly. And, you know, again, that's why I, I have her on this list. I think Anz Jabur, I know a lot of her absence of late has been injury-related, but you look for Jabur's start to the season. Second-round loss to Andriva in Australia. Loses to Haddad Maya, straight sets in Abu Dhabi. First round loss, three and two to Serenko in Doha. I just need to see more. Uh, obviously, you look for Anj Jabur again. It's, some of it has been injury-related. Still 35 and 18 over the last 52 weeks. But, you know, coming up, Charleston title to defend at the start of April. Roland Garros quarterfinal points to defend as well. And then obviously the Wimbledon final coming up in July. She just needs other things to build around because those results are doing a lot of heavy lifting for Jabur right now. She won one match in the Sunshine Swing last season. This is a massive opportunity for her to gain some points. And hopefully she'll come into this as healthy as she has been here in 2024. If not, obviously... There will be still, she remains on this list, but has the window closed? Again, those are three players, Pagula, Sakari, Jabur, consistent top eight presences, dare I say, in this COVID era, 2021 to now, uh, 2020, end of 2020 to now. Has their window closed? Like, are they about to be supplanted? Obviously, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Goff, Sviantek. Not in that order, but those four, they ain't going anywhere anytime soon. It feels like they're four spots in the top eight. Those four you feel like are locks to be in tour finals every year for at least the next three. Where do those other four spots belong to? Is it going to be a rising player like a Chin Wen? It does feel like that gap on any given day from five to 35 just about anyone can look like the fifth best player in the world on a given day. Obviously, Pagula had that benefit of the doubt, probably still deserves it going into this sunshine swing uh, stretch. But, you know, again, right now you'd go with a Chin Wen in Ostapenko. Like you just go in Azarenka when she's playing Ostapenko. You just go in a different direction than Sakari or Jabur. And that just hasn't been the case for two plus years now. So I think she has to be on this list you know, lesser tier, I mentioned the Peyton Stearns case. Anastasia Potapova just has so many points to defend during this sunshine swing. She's got to get things going. And I thought she did to some extent in the Middle East swing. And then Veronica Kudermatova. Like, Kudermatova's been a solid top 15 player now for two and a half years. And feels like to start this season, things have gone a bit astray. Three and six overall. She loses, what, uh, second round Adelaide, first round Australia, first round Abu Dhabi, first round Doha before the win over Yastrzemska in three sets. Still a six-love one six, six-love win. Not exactly normal against Diana Yastrzemska before the loss to Kirstea. You know, who have the losses been to? She's lost to Gulabic. She's lost to Watson, Collins, Alexandrova, 
Kirstea, like Potapova this year. Not bad losses, but players who she would probably consider herself a tier above, clearly, over the past two and a half years. And, you know, right now it just feels like the return of serve has fallen off of a cliff. She's very inconsistent off of that wing. And look, she's fallen right now to 29 in the live rankings. Obviously, this is someone who just has racked up so many quarterfinals over the past two years. So, I think she has to be on the list of people who need a big week, need to get things going if they want to get back to where they consider themselves here to start this 2024 season. That's the women's names I would turn to right now. On the men's side, I've beaten the Pass drum so consistently, so I won't do that too much more here. But, you know, again, when's the last time he had a significant result? A result from Stefano Pass that made you say, oh, wow, like, He's playing his best ball. It's not the Los Cabos title last year. I'm sorry. It's just not. And, you know, again, I know in that event he beat, what, Demon, Chorich, Yari, Isner. On paper, that's actually a pretty good run. But, you know, it's not that. Paris Masters, he beats Zverev, Hachinov. Okay, that's fine. But he lost to Dimitrov in the semifinals. Round of 16 Australia, no. Like, maybe Los Cabos starting to talk myself into it. Roland Garros, he beats Ofner, Schwartzman, Carbeas, Baena, and Vesely before losing to Alcaraz. No. Rome semifinals beats Musetti, Chorch, Senego, Borges before losing to Medvedev. No. Barcelona beats Chapo, Demonauer, Musetti before losing to Alcaraz. No. Like, wins the last signature win. Like, again, I know he beats Zverev in Paris. That That's a good win, certainly. But what's the last signature win in a signature run at a signature event for Stefano Tsitsipas? It's probably 2023 Australian Open, beating Sinner in the quarterfinals, uh, round of 16, then Lachetchka, Hachinov on his way to that final. But even then, like, Hachinov's your quarterfinal, uh, excuse me, your semifinal, Lachetchka's your quarter. We're searching for the last signature, signature victory for Stefano Tsitsipas. And look, he's playing this week in Acapulco. We'll see him during the sunshine swing as well. The opportunities will be there, but he's got to get things going if he wants to get back in that inner circle conversation. I touched on Runa earlier. Again, I'm not concerned. Long-term, 30,000-foot view, but some weird results over the past couple of weeks, and he just keeps the coaching situation. It's a major question mark looming over the 20-year-old. Uh, Can he just get some steadiness in his life, some steadiness in his results? That's what we're looking for. Ben Shelton, Francis Tiafo, they're both top 20 players right now, but neither's done anything particularly inspiring here to start 2024. You look for Shelton. Semi's Auckland, but he beats Carbez Baena and Marajan before a loss to Daniel, so no... Australian Open, the loss to Manorino in the third round. It's not a bad loss. The loss to Dallas semifinals to Tommy and his win over Thompson the round before has aged well. No bad losses on Ben's resume. Well, the Daniel loss isn't great, but nothing. There's, it's just been a fine season. Fine so far for Ben Shelton. Fine is not the standard. I know the 21-year-old holds himself too. And then, you know, again, for Francis, lost semifinals to Delray. Uh, to Tommy, fine. Loses Dallas quarters to Giron. Giron was playing ridiculous tennis. He goes on to make the final. Loses to Mahak, second round Australia. Tough loss, but Mahak's been playing really solid. The Jerry Shang Hong Kong match, Jerry was playing lights out. Still, nothing particularly inspiring from Francis yet this season. He's just got to get things going, so I think he has to be on the list. I made the Sinego case earlier. Shapovalov, it's just such a big season for him. Davidovich Fokina, like all those guys you could throw on there as well. But 
Yeah, again, like that's those are the lists. Those are the players right now I'm watching most closely. Who it's just like you're interesting. I know what you're capable of. I know what the ceiling looks like. I have seen it occasionally of late, but haven't seen it yet to start 2024. And I just think those are some players. I'll be keeping my eyes on most closely. Perhaps you'll feel the need to now as listeners as well. That said, again, that's your look at this week in the pro tennis world. Now, we will be back tomorrow with a couple of podcasts for all of you listeners, a breakdown of the South American clay court swing with David Gertler. Of course, a look at everything that's unfolded early at all this week's tour level events as well. We'll have Jeff Sackman later this week, a couple of other guests as well as we keep you the most well-educated, best-informed tennis fans in the business. Of course, the reason... We're able to do that is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a of an editing job to do day in, making uh, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here. At both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Druskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.